I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Gubby Gubby people of Southeast Queensland. I honour their continuing connection to land, sea and sky, as well as their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. This is episode number 187. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with Ella Hall. Ella is an intuitive coach and leader in her field who supports high-performance professionals and entrepreneurial men and women quantum leap their current results in life, love, and business by stepping into masculine and feminine alignment, which is the integration of their heart, mind, and sexual energy, so they can take back their authentic power, break through the glass ceiling, live a life of meaning, leave a legacy, and dramatically increase their impact and their revenue. And you can find Ella on Instagram at Ella Hall Coach. That's E-L-L-A-H-A-L-L Coach. She's also on Facebook and um, she's offering a free call to people that reach out to her. So in this particular episode, Ella and I talk about the types of clients that she meets with and we notice some common themes and similarities between the clients that I work with as well. We kind of talk about male client archetypes. We discuss the necessity and importance of embodying sexual energy and eroticism and arousal for these men. We then look at what the difference are, differences are between leaky sexual energy being creepy or coming across as needy and what the nuances of that are. And we then speak about having integrity with sexual energy and the communication skills and the ability to express that, which comes along with having that integrity. So if this is of interest to you, then I highly recommend listening. It was lovely to connect with Ella like this. It's always good to meet people from Australia as well that are doing this work um, because they're all locals to me. So it was really enjoyable to connect and I hope you enjoy listening. This might be a good time to describe what sexual intercourse is so you can understand some of the things we're talking about. At very special times, they like to hold each other close. God made their bodies so they fit together in a wonderful way. At one of those special love times, the sperm from the man's body can go into the woman's body. And in spite of her piety, she sometimes desires the more solid comfort of her husband Pierre's cock. And you and I can dive straight in. Ella, I'd love to invite you to share three things. Who are you? What do you do? And what are you really passionate about? Okay. Well, one, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I'm Ella Hall. I'm a breakthrough success coach and pleasure power expert. What that means is that I really um, basically fast track people's potential, helping them get out of their own way and aligning all parts of them in agreement with what they want. Uh, the pleasure power piece is that my mum is a sex therapist, hypnotherapist, psychologist. So I'm like the holistic version of her. I've been in therapy since I was in utero. Um, so this has always been in my blood, you know, and what I'm, what I'm, what I do is I help uh, men and women, but a lot of like high flying professional men come into what I call masculine alignment, which is this integration of their mind, their heart and their sexual energy to really accelerate peak performance in now time, to leave a proud legacy, to be the best versions of themselves basically and up level in life, love and business. And I'm seriously passionate about just being of service and value to the world in that way. And educating, educating these amazing beings on the planet with 
up-leveling into the new world consciousness so that they can really stay at the top of their game because I'm watching people fall off and it's like, oh, dude, you know, and I can't get angry because I just get passionate about you just weren't educated. You just don't Mm. have the right tools in your toolkit, right? The language is changing. The energy is shifting and people just aren't up to date with it. So we've got to educate them. We've got to inspire them so that they want to do these cool things for themselves. And then we have to empower them with the tools and the know-how of how to keep doing it. So that's what I'm really, really passionate about. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And educating, inspiring, and empowering definitely resonates with me. I feel like that's the core of what I do as well. I'm really mindful of like when I put stuff out into the world, not trying to make it seem like I'm preying upon men's insecurities because I see a lot of like content that's created directed specifically towards men that like really kind of like shames men into like getting them to purchase that particular content creator's stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and like, that's like, you know, so people are reaching out from a place of desperation then, right? Like you, you're, you've been really targeted because of your insecurities around your sense of lack, which is something I, I see a lot of men experience, like feeling like they're not enough, uh, mm-hmm. not man enough or not, not something enough. And so rather than like trying to press a desperation point, I really try and go for like inspiration. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's what life can be like when you explore your pleasure and you take control of your sexuality and you like really allow yourself to explore it and you break free from the really limiting parameters that a lot of society and, and a lot of these other kind of like content creators put upon men and, and their version of, of masculinity. So, um, so the inspiration piece is like something I really try and be, uh, intentional about, I suppose. Um, and then yeah, the empowerment and, and education, it's something I'm, I'm, my whole platform is based around education essentially. Yeah. So that definitely strikes a chord. Um, but I'm curious to know, like, how did you land on, um, the clientele that you have. So the men that you work with, you said are like quite, quite high flying, powerful men. How did that come about for you? Well, it's been an evolution. You know, I've been in the personal professional development world for over 20 years. I'm 42 now, just getting better with age, Cam, like fine wine. Like a fine wine. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. But over the years, it's just been progressing that way. Um, when a man comes to work with me, usually he'll fit into one of three categories. Can I run you through them? Cause it's like, sure. Yeah. Like, These men are usually high achievers. Yeah. When I say like high flies, they're, they're high achievers. They've really been stuck in that base energy, that sexual like energy of acquisition, right? Cause the masculine, which is the base, like makes shit happen. Yeah. So, but they'll come to see me in one of three sort of types or categories. First type is really intelligent, but stuck in his head. Right. So this is the guy that might be the computer analyst or the financier or whatever he's doing. Right. So really intelligent, but he's just disconnected from his body's intelligence, his heart and his innate wisdom. Uh, Very often going into his sex center, that primal, like that real masculine energy isn't safe. And this guy very often turns up with erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, gets put into the friendship zone a lot, just not able to really sit in his power, you know, that sexual, primal, masculine power in a healthy way that feels safe. So for him, I've got to help him come out of his head and reconnect to his base. Then I've got the opposite end of the extreme, which is the guy that's stuck in his base. I call him the conqueror. And this is what we were just talking about a bit earlier, where 
you know, I, I see this. I went to a networking event at the Botanical. Do you know uh, yep. the, the bot? Yep, I do. <laughs> yeah. yep. So it's in Melbourne in uh, South Yarra for anyone that doesn't know, but it's it's full of a certain type of person. And this guy is the conqueror. He's like all about acquisition. So very often he's built his empire, but at what cost? Yeah. So relationships are suffering. He's not looking after his health. He might be addicted to the chase. You know, he's never really satiated or feeling fulfilled. So he puts on this big bravado, this kind of guarded, armored persona. Right. And very often, like, you know, these guys knew that I was coming into this networking event and they'd obviously thought, oh, there's a sex coach coming in. <laughs> you know, how old are you really? Like, um, so they're not, they're not able to be in their mature masculinity because they're disconnected from their heart. And that's the intelligence and the wisdom and the kingship that they need to access. So for that guy, it's interesting that you say about the inspiration. Very often the inspiration won't cut through to that guy because he already thinks he's God's gift to everything, right? So he does need a little bit of a shake up and a, hey, man, wake up, like there's a better way. So something's got to be going really wrong for him to come and seek me out. But the ones that do have said, Ella, I live in the valley of abundance. I've got everything, but inside I am the desert. I feel like fucking nothing. And if anyone got too close, they'd see behind the mask and it would all come crumbling down. So for him, we've got to reconnect into his authenticity and that that's literally the power of the heart. And then the third guy, he's all around pretty cool, might already be in a loving relationship. And this is who I think really does well with the inspiring thing. He's the curious explorer. Mm -hmm. He's hungry. He's hungry to learn. He's hungry. He's willing. He's able. He's just like, I, I know that there's more to sex than just what I see in porn. I might've even had some like cosmic crazy experiences in lovemaking, but what happened? How did I get there? Like, how do I do that consistently? How do I show up as the best man, the best version of myself? Like this guy is ready to go there. So he's like my ultimate client. But usually if someone reaches out, he's a bit of that anyway, right? Because he's actually taken that courageous step. And it is a courageous step to work with someone like you or I. Right. Mm. I mean, it might be easier for a man to approach another man. And a lot of the time, I won't lie. Like if, if somebody comes to me and I'm like, you do not need to be told how to be a better man by a woman. You actually need to go and work with a strong, healthy, embodied, masculine man. Right. So I'm not opposed to even like, you know, delegating people to other places. If I don't feel I can truly be of service and of value to that person. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate I you. Question. Yeah, I, I do appreciate you speaking into those those kind of archetypes, let's say, of the yeah. type of men that that come and see you because they resonate with some of the clients. If I think of you know the men that I've worked with over the years, there's definitely men that fit into those categories, and you're kind of right as well. They got overlap a little bit in yeah. some respects, and um, and yeah, I often I often do a screening with my clients to to begin with in like the first two calls with them. And I kind of ask them questions about three specific areas and they're all relationship oriented questions. What's their relationship with their body? You know, are they, and that's where I'll ask them real practical questions. Do they go to the gym? Do you eat yeah. well? Are you meditating? Like really, you know, these, these questions are designed to see like, okay, does he have a healthy relationship with his body? Does he feel his body? Yeah. Does he, Absolutely. does he understand that he experiences sensations? You know, if I ask him questions like, 
you know, can you describe the physical feeling of that? And he's like really struggling to mm. find the words or actually like articulate that there actually was a physical sensation when he experienced anger, for example, mm. then what that tells me is like part of the screening process is okay. There's maybe some work to do there on his relationship with his body. Absolutely. And then I got other guys who are like real tuned in and they're like yoga practitioners and they're yeah. meditating regularly and they're like really articulate with regards to their physical sensations. I'm like, okay, great. Maybe you don't need to do as much work there. Um, so it's like that first area of relationship is relationship with body. Then I asked them about their relationship with like something that's greater than their body. So if they're spiritual or interested in like esoteric teachings, I'll ask them like, you know, have you, typically I'll, ask, I'll start by asking them, have they read any books? You know, and someone mm -hmm. might say they've read Matak Chia or they've read David Data or they've read something else. I'm like, okay, cool. There's a thread that we can pull there and start to ask them about their relationship with, you know, spirituality or, yeah. you know, energy, sexual energy. Um, but for people that maybe haven't gone down that route, then I might ask them about their, you know, relationship with God. You know, I got some guys who are very religious, for example. Um, so I asked them about their, their relationship with, you know, the, the God that they worship or the, the, you know, religion that they're a part of. Um, and for people that don't fit into those, then, you know, there's like a relationship there with their community, right. With the, with the earth, with the land, yeah. with the, the, you know, the people that they're, you know. Um, in community with. And so it's like, how are they relating to something that's greater than just their physical body? And then I'll ask them thirdly about their relationship with other people. So like, how do they relate with family? How do they relate with coworkers, with friends? And then obviously most importantly for my work, how do they relate with lovers and whether they're casual yeah. lovers or whether they're like in committed relationships, like what comes up when they have those, those interactions with other people. Um, and I kind of separate based on those three relationships, like the direction of coaching that I go with them. Um, you know, there's stuff that's unique to them as a, as a human being and as a client. Uh, but I have some general, like, okay, if I know that he's like quite developed in these two areas, these two relationships, and this one's kind of lacking, I know that's maybe the direction that I want to yeah. go with him in. So, yeah. um, yeah, I don't necessarily have like, I love the, the, the language that you use, right. The conqueror and, um, I forget what the other two Over were, but I like and the curious yeah, right. Laura, yeah, beautiful. So I love that you've got like these these labels. I, I probably need to dial in like and have this specific um, language to to describe like the archetypes of the clients that I work with. But um, but it really lands, and and I appreciate you speaking into that. And I I guess like I'm asking what I want to ask about is is there any commonalities? Is there any through lines that you see between all three of these clients? These these men that are coming to see you. Is there anything that like draws them all together? Yeah, a million percent. Uh, like when I run them through, because this is the first thing I'll say to someone is like, hey, look, when someone comes to work with me, usually he'll resonate with one of these three types of men. Can I run you through them? And I want you to feel into which one of these types is singing out to you in now time the most, because pretty much everyone will be like, I'm kind of all of that. I've been all parts of these different people at different times. I've got a little bit of you know, the, the overthinker, I've got a, like a, maybe a lot of the, you know, and it's very funny because like people will often find me like my mum, she's a psychologist, Dr. Janet Hall for anyone out there. She sent me retired, but she'll never, ever retire. She's the <laughs> epitome of the busy high performance woman, um, which is where I get it from. But yeah, she has referred me so many people because a lot of them will resonate with psychology because it's safe. Mm -hmm. They're working with the head. They go in, it's just the head is like one body. Because when I work with these people, like I love your, like I feel that what you do is a very foundational thing. It's like, you know, let's have a look at where you are now and then what is lacking and then we can build something curated for you. So with um, 
with me, I'm working with all four bodies at the same time. What that means is mind, physical body. So much like you, like what's your fitness thing? Like what's going on there? Um, your like, so yeah, mental body, physical body, emotional body, and energy or spiritual body, right? So we're working through all four bodies all at once, which is why the work I do is very deep. It's lasting. It's quite transformative in a really fast amount of time. Um, whereas my mum is like mental and she will work with one body, which is everyone knows it. We get to unpack things. I just talk about my issues and I feel like at the end of the day, I walk out, and go, oh, I felt heard. But really for me, this is why like psychology for me did not work because a lot of it's based around um, cognitive behavioral therapy and going, okay, you've got a negative thought about yourself. Like, let's look at that and replace it with a positive one. And if my physiology, if my nervous system is not congruent or in agreement with that new positive thought, it literally can't come in. So going to therapy or traditional means of therapy for so long for myself, I just felt more blocked and stuck. I wasn't getting results because I was still in my own way. And if anything, I was re-traumatizing myself doing that process. Um, so yeah, so a lot of them start there and they do like seven sessions with my mom. And then she's like, so now that you've done seven sessions and we've got basically nowhere, you're desperate enough, right? To go see my daughter, Ella, which is very unconventional. And they're like, yeah, I'm desperate enough. And I'll say to them, you know, like if you're sitting there and I'm standing naked on a mountaintop going, but you're getting results, who the fuck cares? Right. As long as you're getting the results and starting to move through the stuff. Yeah. So they find me there or they um, they come through Jan or they come through Lacanto. And there, if someone's come through Lacanto, very often he will be type A or type B, you know, the overthinker. Mm-hmm. He's looking for arse and tits. He's looking for that kind of immediate relief. And then he stumbles upon me and I'm, I'm so out of the box there, right? So it's a really great conversation to have with someone initially to get them to start to go, oh, yeah, where am I right now in my life? Like, how am I relating? Am I am I looking for, you know, something to fill me up from outside of me or am I wanting to just like, you know, blow my load or what? what is it? Like it starts to get them really curious. Yeah. Mm. And then they're open. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I, you know, have a similar relationship, I suppose, with psychotherapy I, I went to school for it you know I, I did psychology and, and counseling and have degrees in both of those but and I also have like a personal history going and seeing therapists and counselors and had a really transformative experience doing narrative therapy with a uh, therapist back when I was in my late teens and you know I've shared about that before on the podcast but the the thing that I felt when I started getting into counseling and working as specifically as a counselor with the intention of going into clinical psychotherapy was how limited it is. Mm. And I, I felt really boxed in by it because as part of my experimentation and personal growth journey, I had also gone and done yoga teacher training. So I was yeah. teaching yoga and I was also, you know, moonlighting as like a neo-tantra practitioner as well. So I was doing so, you know, Tantra workshops and I was also doing some tantric massage. Yeah, exactly. So I had all these other modalities. Yeah, yeah, totally. That I felt like I couldn't draw on as a talk therapist. And that's why Jan told me, do not, because I was like, I want to be a psychologist. And she's like, you'll fucking hate it. (laughs) She told me, she goes, it's too much maths for you. You'll hate it. And I told you at the start, I'm highly creative. Some would say dyslexic. I I prefer creative, but she said, you'll fucking hate it. And it Mm -hmm. was the best Thing she ever said to me because not only would I have, would I ever felt limited 
in the sense of like what I'm allowed to do because I hate rules. Like I don't even say I teach Tantra. I say I teach my own unique brand of pleasure power because you can't get your pleasure wrong. Mm. So I don't believe in anything really traditional myself. It just doesn't resonate for me. But yeah, I was just like um, that embodiment, you know, and finding ways to start to, again, earning potential as well. I felt capped there, you know. I was like, I don't want anyone telling me how much I can earn, what I can do. Don't box me in. Don't fence me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that that definitely um, is how I felt boxed in. Um, look, I want to uh, circle back around to like your clients and the men that you are working with, and also your observations of like men in general, because mm. I, I presume they're pretty astute. Is um, like the exploration of sexuality for for men. Like in my in my observation, I'll share. Like I find a lot of guys have a reluctance and a resistance to really exploring their sexuality in a sensual, erotic, and pleasurable sense because of the connotations that we have around sensuality and eroticism and pleasure. That being that it's like, I my opinion is that it's coded in our society as relatively feminine and you know right. a, a real man isn't feminine, right? So a lot of guys that I work with at least have bought into this restrictive idea of masculinity and what it means to be a man, which is like, I've got to be stoic and I've got to be tough and I've got to suffer in order to grow as a man. Mm -hmm. And anything that is feminine or effeminate or sensual or erotic or pleasurable is like going to detract from me as a, as a man. And so they really close themselves off to that. Um, that's the type of guys that I, I tend to attract is like, they have, a uh, that kind of barrier to, to exploring their pleasure. Wow. Uh, and so like their expression of sexuality is typically like quite it's quite limited right and it fits into what you kind of shared before which is like that um acquisition like their sexuality is always about like uh you know apologies for the the phrase but like every hole is a goal and yeah. you know another notch on the bedpost kind of expression of their sexuality and that's tied into their their understanding of like what it, quote unquote means to be a real man and so I'm curious, as I kind of shared that, if you have any insights around that particular mentality or that way that guys are expressing their sexuality and how you help shift that for them. Right. So I guess my experience is going to be different because I'm obviously a woman and I do offer body work, right? So I've seen, I've seen it all. I've been doing this for eight and a half years and and I love what I do and I, I take it very seriously in joy. So just that brings up a specific client of mine. And this is literally the man that said to me, I live in the Valley of Abundance and inside I am the desert. So this man in his life has absolutely everything money could buy, right? He started from nothing. He built his own empire, but he was so limited in his ability to connect to his heart, which is the feminine pole of energy. So if we're all batteries, the masculine is the plus sign. So your, your cock is your base, it's your plus. And your, as a man, your feminine is your minus sign, it's your heart. And we need both of these working in harmony so you can be really full of self first. Otherwise, there's this, this hole is a goal type thing. I call it the hungry bear, right? So you see these guys out on the prowl. It's like they've been a bear in hibernation for God knows how long. And they come out and they're like, oh, feed me, fuck me. And it's scary. It's like repellent energy. It comes from that space of lack. It comes from that space of disconnected from presence. They cannot be, they're not actually in their body. They're living in a fantasy in their mind. Um, when I started working with this person, he was so into that acquisition 
that I, you know, my, my boundaries are no one touches me. No one gives to me, right? I'm not a sex worker in any way. I'm a, I'm a sacred sexuality educator and guide, but I'm in a room with a naked person guiding them through this incredible embodied experience of pleasure which is all about vulnerability and liberation and permission, granting permission. So, you know, I'm there breathing and I'm in an orgasmic state with them. And so I'm accessing and activating all of these parts of this beautiful human being. And this guy wouldn't keep his hands to himself. And look, a lot of the time men have been conditioned to be the givers. Yeah. Again, it's just a lack of education and understanding that you don't have to give all the time, especially if something feels good, they want to give back. And it's like in that is the education and the growth. So you want to give back to me? No, darling, it's your chance to receive. It's all for you. And they're like, what? All for me? You are enough to receive this. You are valuable and worthy enough of receiving this gift. Let yourself take it in. This guy could not receive. He kept trying to grab me and I said, look, you you are taking. He goes, no, no, I'm receiving. And he was, people can't see me, but I'm clutching at the air, right? Like, and it was a really rapey, takey energy. And, but that was in his mind, that's him receiving mm -hmm. because he just takes whatever he wants. So when I called it and I really put a boundary up and I said, you do it one more time, I will ask you to leave. Right. And he was like, oh, and then I introduced him to the wheel of consent, for example, because he'd never, he, it was just a concept that he'd never heard of. And I was like, there's a difference in receiving. There's a difference in giving. There's a difference in taking. It's all different sorts of energies. It's really important to educate yourself. And, you know, eventually we worked out that this man has some very serious repressed sexual trauma that happened to him that he'd never really dealt with and this was his way of sabotaging any type of intimate relationship that came into his space so that was a process of one me holding my firm friendly loving boundaries I think when a man works with me I think why they do so well is because I'm a strong woman but I'm a very vulnerable woman you know, I've got that element of masculinity and that strength of like, I will not drop you energetically or otherwise. I do not take my, my presence never wavers. I am fully here for you. And I will go into the dark because I've got a fucking torch and we know how to get out. You know, I've been to the darkest of the dark and I've been to the lightest of the light. And I know it's a spectrum of color. So all is welcome, but the boundaries are there and it's safe for them to actually let go. And then there's this beautiful feminine quality that comes in of this nurturer and this ability to care for, and at the same time, not rescue, but just reflect, reflect the truth of who they are, reflect that their vulnerability is strength, that this is really interesting. You said like, I really feel for those men that are stuck in their own way around really exploring the more erotic and sensual because, you know, a man is linear in terms of what he enjoys and what he likes. So 99.9% .9 of the time, the majority of men out there, if they like this one day, they're going to like it till the day they die, right? As a sexual kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas I'd probably push back on that a little bit, no, but go, that's please. my, that's, I just goes just from my own research and observation and even my own personal lived but experience. I know you're not the usual man though. So I'm talking about like the sort of stereotypical out there, unconscious, not educated, not even like up to, you know, this sort of work yet. Right. Just to specify and qualify that. Cause I knew, I knew you were going to say that. Cause I was like, but you're not the average, right. There's still so many people out there that 
aren't awake to this stuff. Like they, they, they don't even understand what it is yet. Right. Which is why I believe it's our responsibility to educate and wake them up and say, there's a, there's another way. Right. But in the meantime, women we're built so differently. We're cyclic and we need, we need difference. We need the erotic, we need the sensual or we get bored, you know, and I want people to have these beautiful relationships that are like quality and with themselves first, because we can't give what we don't have. And then with the other, so they know how to turn each other on it and they keep it dynamic and exciting. Sorry. I know you've got something to say. Please say, please say. No, no, no. I, I, um, yeah, I recognize that my own, uh, lived experience is probably not the typical experience of, um, men my age. Uh, but I've also done workshops with a lot of older men, uh, men in their sixties and seventies. And a conversation that we always have when I do those workshops is how their sexual tastes have shifted over time yeah. and how they've desired to have different things as they've gotten older and like what they enjoyed when they were younger is now not what they enjoy anymore. What do you and so hear? what do they say to you? Well, I hear uh, that they desire much more closeness and intimacy yeah. and connection as an older man. Um, you know, physiologically, maybe things are different for them as well. Maybe their yeah. body isn't as nimble or as limber as it used to be. And so the sex that they prefer now is different. Uh, maybe their cock doesn't work as yep. you know reliably as it did when they were younger. And so like they're not so interested in penetrative sex anymore. They like yeah. to enjoy touch and they like to enjoy you know, using their, their mouths and their fingers a little bit more. Yeah. And so, you know, whether that's, whether that's a, a shift in preference because of the circumstances or a shift in preference, because that's like a natural shift for them because of that, the, the maturation of that's their I believe, you know, psychology. Like, yeah. I, I think there's probably a bit of both, but, um, yeah. but yeah, so I, and, and, you know, having done research in, in regards to sexuality across the lifespan as well, I, I do read a lot of people's you know anecdotal reports of their shifting sexual preferences yeah. and shifting sexual desires and um and so i definitely think like yeah there's some linearity to it um and i think that's quite common yeah but there's also variability which is like that and that I, and I think i think sex research has perpetuated the linearity approach to like male sexuality uh, yeah. specifically i think the way that we've studied male sexuality and men for a long time has just been like, oh, guys are just straightforward. They like what they like and it never shifts. And I think, oh, no, you know, yeah. And so I think like the, the, um, the nuance and complexity and, and variability is like, and I'm, I'm thinking of one specific study here, which is from, um, last year, which is like now starting to develop a little bit more, um, yeah, depth to the way that we think about, you know, male sexuality and, and male sexual response. And so, um, so there's not much research into it, unfortunately. And so I think that's been perpetuated by, by like the way that we think in, and talk about male sexuality. So that's why I, I, that's why I said, I'm just going to push back on that a little bit. Cause it, like no, no. that hasn't been my, my observation from, and it's uh, not from men that I've worked with. For the men that come to work with me, I'm talking about the general population. Yeah. But have you seen a movie called The Shift by Dr. Wayne Dyer? Nope. That's an incredible movie. That was like his parting gift to the world. He was like the granddad of um, that personal development type thing, like Louise L. Hay and all of those guys, like, you know, Wayne Dyer. He um, he was saying, you know, when a man sort of reaches the twilight years, his whole consciousness shifts. So it's been a lifetime of building acquisition. And then his shift is more into 
spiritual. It's actually opening to like what feeds my heart and what nourishes me. And whereas a woman who's given and given, you know, predominantly like looked after others her whole life, her shift is like, well, what about me now? What do I, what's my purpose? What's my, what's my joy? Like that kind of thing. So I, I love that idea. And I work with a lot of older men as well. And a lot of them do have the prostate issues and uh, diabetes, which will affect their erection and things like that as well. And a lot of them though, are still stuck in that old mindset of like, there's something wrong with me because I can't perform the way I used to. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. a huge mindset shift when we say, you know, that you've got a plethora of options available and it's so beautiful to shift. You know? Yeah, I I like that that idea um, of like that twilight shift of consciousness. Yeah. I'm gonna check out uh, the. It's free the... on YouTube. <laughs> okay, cool. I'll I'll check it out. Thank you for the tip. You're welcome. Um, you know, something that is coming up for me is something that I was speaking to a, a graduate student of mine the other day. Uh, she wrote a whole blog post about this, so maybe I'll link it in the show notes. But it was about um, what is commonly called like leaky sexual energy. Oh. Right, that's the language that I've used to describe, you know, um, what I perceive leaky sexual energy to be. And, and some other people might call it like creepiness, like, you know, giving off creepy vibes. Um, but I was curious to know, like, you know, without going too deep into like my share around this, like, what are your first thoughts on the term leaky sexual energy? What does that mean to you? Oh, um, well, as a woman, I, and as a sex coach, try dating as a woman, as a, as a sex coach, you know, I get met with that leaky energy a lot. And um, it happened the other day, like at that networking event that I was telling you about, like that literally, like they'd had a conversation, there's a sex coach coming in, you know, and then I get that obligatory, you know, so what do you do? And I'm, you know, sharing what I do and the word sex comes in and everyone's like giggling and stuff. And then this guy's, oh, I don't need your help. You know, I had a girl riding on my cock last night. And I'm like, that is so inappropriate. Like that, that is just repulsive energy. And I just took myself and I stood up and I said, you know, guys, this isn't what I signed up for. Thank you, but no, thank you. And I just walked away, came and apologized later, good on him. But that that energy to not be able to contain your sexual energy, which I believe is the most powerful of all the energies, you are robbing yourself, right? Of the gift of when you channel it, positively and productively that goes into every area of your life from the bedroom to the boardroom and beyond so that is a skill set that is a really profound skill set and the ones that know it like would you rather pour yourself it's like as a woman or, an, or another man you know we get attracted to something that's already full not something that we feel we have to fill it up you know and there's that hungry bear syndrome again it's like that I need you to do something for me. I need you to fill me up because I'm starving and I need this versus I'm already full. Like that is so magnetic. That is so attractive. When a man walks in and he's already full, like you can feel he's, he's contained. He's holding himself. He trusts himself. You know, he is a healthy embodied version of masculine for me. That is the most attractive thing that men want to be him and all women want to be with him. You mm. know, it's pretty special. And that that's what I love to show people how to bring themselves back because that's the truth of who they are. It's just a matter of knowing what to do, how to do it, feeling inspired to do it more often because you're getting amazing results and you're building evidence that, fuck, I am so much more productive and peaceful and pleasure-filled and all of these things and I'm not spilling my energy everywhere. 
So I'm getting more shit done, you know, in less amount of time and feeling more relaxed about it. And at the same time, it's just an empowering feeling. Grounded. What what does not containing your sexual energy look like to you? Like, can you give some tangible examples of what that might manifest as? Well, the first that comes straight to mind is um, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation. You're not able to stay connected to your body's wisdom. So you feel that your body is betraying you and you're actually spilling your life force or your seed without your conscious wanting to, right? So that, that's the first sort of most tangible way that it can manifest. But then there's that energetic sloppiness or that really kind of leaky. It is, it's the creepy vibe. It's like the um, the lack of boundaries, the the coming on, like not picking up on cues of like someone's going, this is a fucking boundary, man. Like, don't you get it? And they're just like, oh, but there's a chance. Like, and again, it's that taking energy, you know? So I think people just have to like wake up and become a little bit more socially savvy. And I love that that's one of your pillars that you work through in relationship of like, how do you relate to others? Because the way we relate to others is really a reflection of how we relate to ourselves. So if I'm leaking energy places, I don't want to fucking know that because that energy is really important to me. And if I can channel it positively and productively and consciously into where I want it to go, it's going to deliver me such better results in life, love, and business. Mm. Uh, there's a something that's coming up for me is like there's a social skills element to this, right? So um, men that maybe don't have the language or the you know capability of articulating their attraction towards someone, mm. right? Like they maybe haven't, they just don't have the 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 experience with regards to how to communicate that. Like so, they do it quite sloppily right they do it quite inarticulately and so a way to help with that is like all right let's get let's get you more comfortable talking about sexuality talking about pleasure feeling more comfortable noticing that in your body and giving you some communication tools for how to share that share that attraction share that um, desire with the person who you are attracted to or that you're desiring and so like there's a social skills piece that comes into play there for me at least anyway yeah um but the, the, and, and here's what, like, I want to tie back into what you shared. Cause I agree with it. It's like, there's that embodiment piece, right? And so like something that I'll say to my clients to kind of help them wrap their head around this is, um, you know, the phrase, is that a such and such in your pocket? Or are you just happy to see me? Like, is that a banana in your pocket? Or yeah. Are you just happy to see me? And a lot of guys go, it's just a banana. It's just a banana. Like I, you know, and now like, you know, there's the immediate like knee jerk, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not. Like there's, you know, no, no, I'm not, I'm not being sexual. Like I'm not turned on right now. Like they'll try and hide it and they'll have that, like, um, I suppose, yeah, that like secretive uncomfortableness um, around like being attracted to someone who they're talking to or someone they're on a date with or someone who they just met out at the, you know, wherever they're meeting people. And so the, the reframe there is like, if it, if it isn't a banana and you are happy to see one, how do you tell them that? Right. So how do you tell them like, Hey, yeah, I'm, I am, you know, happy to see you. Like I am, I do feel good around you. I do feel aroused when I'm by your side. Like it's, it's pleasurable to be next to you and to be talking to you. Like, how is it that you're communicating your turn on? And again, it's like, it's his turn on, right? Like, so part of this is, is helping men take ownership and responsibility for their yeah. experience of arousal rather than outsourcing it or or um, putting the onus on 
the person who they're attracted to. And, and an analogy that I kind of share with this, uh, not an analogy, I suppose, but like a little language um, reframe that I uh, offer here is like, instead of thinking of, you know, say, say uh, a guy's attracted to a woman, right? And, and the thought that might cross his mind is like, damn, she's so hot. She turns me on, right? Like she's so, she's so attractive. She turns me on. Like it's her fault that he's turned on. And he can't do anything about it. And that's like the outsourcing and the putting of responsibility and the onus onto her. And the shift in language that I get guys to do here, like to it's language first. And then it's like thoughts. And then it's embodiment is, oh, wow. I get so turned on when I see her. Mm. Right? So that like subtle shift is going from it's her fault that he's turned on to now it's his fault that he's turned on. And I don't really like the term fault there because being turned on is not a fault, but mm. you know, being aroused is now like something that's generated from within him. It's like, I feel so aroused. I feel so turned on. I feel so alive when I'm around this person. It's a, it's my feeling, not her thing that's eliciting in me. So that it's like a subtle, um, language shift. And it's like, all right, well, now that we know that it's coming from within you, what can we do with that? You know, I'll, again, I, I love like little analogies and little, little stories. So like I'll say to a guy, if he's working out, like he's going to a Going to the gym. A lot of guys that I work with go to the gym. So he's going, he's like at the gym and he's um, running on the treadmill or lifting a certain weight and he sees someone at the gym that he finds attractive, right? So firstly, that reframe of like, oh, well, I'm, I'm experiencing arousal right now. Like this is coming from within me. Oftentimes, you know, they'll get a little surge of like, I just run that little bit faster, right? I might just like try that little bit harder. I might just lift this extra weight here, right? And it's like, yeah. Part of it comes from ego, but part of it comes from sexual energy, right? It's like that little that burst of, energy. I can yeah. do this a little bit more. And so like, okay, now we've got this tangible example of you utilizing that experience of arousal or that experience of sexual energy and doing something else with it. Let's then move on from there to doing more with it. Like, can you move it up into your heart? Can you move it into, a, you know, can you channel it into a, another outlet? You know, I, I often use physical exercises as, as the first, like, opportunity to do that because it's yeah. it's simple for a lot of guys but then you know we start to talk about right can we channel it into a creative outlet can we channel it into some writing can we channel it into you know some whatever you know and then the and then like down the line it's like, all right now let's let's channel it in like a really explicitly sexual way so now let's do a, like a proper self-pleasure practice and let's channel it into you know i've got some guys that are interested in doing like sex magic style practices like great let's do some sex magic and you know do some conscious ejaculation let's do some consecration and let's go on that avenue or some other guys you know i'm familiar with uh betty martin's wheel of consent she's actually been on the podcast twice wow. so i'm very uh familiar with her work and, and use it quite a lot it's like all right well let's channel it into like a practice like the the wheel of consent framework offers and and you know have some more deeper profound sexual experiences because you're able to do something with this sexual energy it's not just um you don't just have like zero awareness around it because i feel like a lot of guys you know they're, they're kind of don't have that awareness there's there's a a lack of awareness around like the intensity and the the depth of their sexual energy they, they kind of feel a bit cut off by it um, and it's just the the outsourcing of their pleasure the outsourcing of their arousal to women or to pornography or to the people that they're attracted to and they don't like claim ownership over it um and give themselves that permission to really explore it within them you know it's always like i've got to get it from somewhere else and yeah you know, to reference betty again she calls that like vicarious pleasure right like yeah. we get our pleasure 
through other people not through our own, you know, physical experience. And, and that's big for men. Like that's been my experience, at least anyway, with working with guys, it's like getting them to come back to themselves, recognizing their own pleasure and then being able to like share that with a, with another person. Cause I'll often say to them, the, the capacity that you have for pleasure or the limitations that you have around your pleasure will impact the amount of pleasure your partner can feel. So if you can't hold pleasure in your own body, if you can't hold that sexual energy in your own body and really like have an energetic capacity for it, really? then you're going to, you're not gonna be able to hold that for your partner. You're not gonna be able to go to that depth of pleasure with them as well. So you're, you're putting a limit on their pleasure, um, and vice versa as well, I suppose. But yeah, I feel like that was a bit of a ramble. Hopefully that all made sense. Um, well, I wanted to see where that landed for you. Yeah, no, I'm like resonating with absolutely everything you shared. It's like, um, just a different take on it. So like whenever anybody starts with me working with me, the first thing that we do is what's called a sovereignty alignment. This is like a foundations, like firm foundations. You can't, everyone's got a desire, right? So I call myself like in a way an orgasmic manifesting coach because I'm using that sexual energy with that person, which I believe like I love metaphors. So think of that energy, like the power of the sun. And if we don't channel it in a positive and productive way, like which would birth worlds, for example, it just burns you up from inside or it destroys the world, your life around you. And people do, they burn up their relationships. It becomes addiction. It becomes all these unhealthy things that become quite traumatic and dramatic in one's life. And I say the two things that turn me on most on the planet are business and energy. The business is the masculine gets shit done and the energy is the feminine, like let's create stuff. So we're not just making it, we're creating it. And un having that understanding of like, you it stops with you you are the most powerful creator in your space and your intention creates your reality so a lot of these guys have never thought about what is my intention right what is my intention what context am i going into this scenario look when i go to the gym am i there to kind of get my rocks off or am i there to to train and if something does inspire me or catch my eye say i don't get i don't get that with my clients very often because what we're working on is like them in relation to say their relationship or business, but I haven't had that kind of feedback come in yet. But if I would, it would be like, okay, beautiful. Exactly what you said. Let's sublimate that energy, like move it from one area, which is the groin, which is like one flavor and breathe it in, transmute it, hold it at the heart, see what it becomes. Like you can then transform that and utilize that into whatever you deeply desire and give it a context, like give it some structure, give it a strategy and see what good comes of that. And it is, it's just like learning new elements, new tools, nuances, what words to say, how to direct your mind. The mind is the servant, not the master, right? And if the mind is like ruling us and driving us into all of these old models of thinking takes us to the same person, place and thing every time, same shit, different bucket, we're not we're not consciously creating. We're not going in the direction that we choose to go in. So it's like, how do I master my mind for success? How do I start to work with the wisdom of the body so that my body trusts me and I trust it? We're working in harmony. It's like me with my sacred animal body, right? We've got to get like, we're all these different parts and getting them talking together and in agreement, then there's little to no resistance right? And this is the biohack of what I believe Tantra or um, Tantric principles, intention and presence, breath, sound and movement do so quickly and easily because it's a biohack. When you're in your pleasure, there's, you just, you just go into this altered state where 
you can access this deeper wisdom and all sorts of things. So that's where I really shine in helping someone come back to the truth of who they are, to show up and take responsibility, to become a conscious co-creator with the universe about what they want. And then from there, it all starts with them. They change their relationship to themselves, the way they speak to themselves. And all of a sudden the world starts shifting around them to meet them there, right? Mm -hmm. They're having different conversations. They're in, they're inviting different, you know, cooperative components to come into their current reality. And it's like, they are the sun now, right? They're holding this beautiful masculine energy, holding all these different planets in their orbit that are thriving. You know, that, that to me just feels like, oh, what a gift, the gift that just keep giving you give to yourself first. I call it self is not selfish. Hmm. That's another thing that people have to get their head around. It's like, oh my God, I'm doing all this stuff for myself. Well, how selfish am I? It's like, no, you give to you. And all of a sudden you're so full, you're overflowing. That energy is attractive, right? Like to both men and women, like people want to be around you. Yeah. You're going to be so much more successful and achieve so much more from that space. But it all starts with you. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And I love that piece around intentionality. That's like a foundational aspect of what I do with with my clients. Like, what do you, what's your why? What do you want to get from mm. this self-pleasure? What do you want to get from the you know, sexual activity you're about to participate in with this other person or people? Like, what's your, yeah, what's your reasoning? What's your why? Um, so, yeah, the intention is really, really clear. Um, something else that I wanted to circle back around to was Oh yeah, I wanted to ask you about um like we spoke about leakiness and some other words that come to mind and I wanted to see if there was like a distinction or delineation that you might be able to offer here as like neediness and desperation and leakiness and creepiness. Is there are they all one and the same in your opinion? Is there a difference between the way that they show up in terms of like the energies i'm curious like what your thoughts are on those those um experiences well the first thing that really strikes me because i'm really actually feel this is a great question kevin i'm really feeling into it because i'm an intuitive at the end of the day and um the neediness and the lack like that energy comes from that space of i'm not enough mm -hmm. right so I need something from outside of me to fill me up to prove that I'm enough like I need validation or I need sex or I need you know, just some kind of accolade, that next best thing, you know, that next acquisition, whatever it is. Creepiness is a different energy. I wouldn't put like, it can come from that place, but it shows up in a different essence. Like it's got its own little gnarly thing going on. And I think if I just start talking in my language for a moment, so if any of this doesn't make sense, just pull me up and ask me to explain it better. But so you've got your kind of pillars that you work through people with in, in terms of relationship. I've got what I call the flower of life. Have you ever done the wheel of life? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great tool. I've, I love that tool so much and I used it for much of my life and through COVID um, I was going to use it. And it's like, no, the world shifted into a different frequency. Now the three dimensional world as we used to know it is now going into more of five, six, seven D frequency, which is a more feminine frequency, which is a creation energy as opposed to a make it or do it. Right. And, um, so the flower represents every petal is one of a whole. So we're not compartmentalizing any anymore. It's not like, oh, my work life is awesome but my health is shit. Like, it's like, well, if your work life is awesome, you're, you're, you're taking from that other piece, right? So I'm, I'm creating these like beautiful, there's eight petals in total. And when someone does like a self-assessment, they can figure out 
where am I undernourished and where am I flying? And then, you know, what do I need to shift in order to make sure that I'm replenishing even just like one micro shift in one area of life can totally dramatically create change in the whole complete you. Right. So, so that's kind of an exciting um, prospect. Now, why was I saying this? What was your first question? I was asking about the difference between uh, creepiness and neediness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so if I'm depleted in one area of my life, I can be a desperate type of like, I'm actually clutching, but it doesn't have to be conscious. The majority of what we're doing is subconscious, which is like 80%, you know, and then we've got that 10% underneath that, which is the deep unconscious, which usually comes out in the physical body, right? It will show up as dis-ease in some area of life. That sort of stuff, it's more gnarly than just needy or wanting or not thinking that we're already enough and we're starting to search for that outside of ourselves. I feel like the creepiness can come from a very deep lack of awareness, right? Because like on some level, you've got to be aware that someone's going, ew, like how can you not pick up on that ew energy or that icky energy, right? So you've got to be in such denial that it's not there. You, What are you telling yourself? Like I actually like cannot understand that other than you're living in a fantasy. You're not checked in to the present. You're not able to access your power in the now. You're literally living in some kind of warped version of reality. Um, and you're telling yourself that what you're doing is okay. And I, you know, as a survivor of abuse, I, I totally don't get it. Like I, I'm here to wake people up and shake people up and get them fucking conscious so that they don't choose to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. That's kind of my take on that. Like I'm, I'm fucking passionate about that too. Like, you know, wake up guys, like, and girls or everyone just take responsibility for what you're putting out because whatever you put out is going to come right back at you. Mm. Right. And that's like my client, I was telling you before, like he, he just, we kind of identified that he had all of that repressed sexual trauma and it was coming out in this really repellent way where he's trying to take and touch, which was not welcome. And then he, he kind of had this big breakthrough moment where he's like, fuck, I got touched at school and that wasn't welcome. And, you know, that now I've got to kind of process that. And this work is for the brave. You know, you've got to be brave and courageous to go in and do this work. I, I call it like coding. You know, a lot of it can be dogma, comes through our, our um traditions and conditioning from the ages of zero to seven it's like this inner wiring and firing of the nervous system and these belief systems and patterns and programs that no longer service and until we actually go in and get brave and go oh fuck that's running there I don't need that that doesn't serve me how can I decode and recode that because we have the power to do that right and sometimes we just need someone who's a ninja warrior goddess or a ninja warrior god man to hold our hand while we do it so it's safe but the results are really profound and they have a dramatic impact, not only on us in the now, but our families to come. Like they shift family constellations. They shift it all. And that's what I believe is going to change the planet. One beautiful awoken person at a time. Yeah. Thank you for speaking into it. I, I definitely, I definitely think that there's like, you know, the, the desperation and the, the that taking 
energy if we use like that that phrase and and that framework from uh the wheel of consent is like that's that's where the majority of abuse happens right that's where the majority of of trauma is perpetuated right and so in my experience working with guys the exploration of that in a safe consensual way has been like quite um profound profound for them it it was profound for me as well when i started to do like some work with betty um you know and and go into those four quadrants Um, but like learning how to um i mean both of it's learning it's like learning how to receive pleasure right but it's learning how to receive pleasure from the space of doing something to another person for your pleasure and really owning that and really claiming it and um and doing it with the consent of the other person and so that has been um like a pretty transformative part of my own sexual journey and and experience with my partner as well and so i think there's an element of overcoming that you know neediness and creepiness and that desire to like grasp at things by like you said just that that's the shadow so shining a light on that and finding a way to embody that in a in a healthy consensual way where all parties involved are like you know agreeing to it or in agreement with what's about to happen like is in my you know observation probably one of the most potent ways of moving through that right Absolutely. like it's empowering. You know, realizing yeah totally we can't change what we don't acknowledge so that awareness in itself is so liberating to you to others who are in your space that you want to connect with it's like all of a sudden everyone's these conscious sovereign beings that are choosing where they're at right now like me enforcing my will on you that's not okay it's just not okay but for me to say oh really Cam, i desire I desire to touch you in this way. Is that okay? Oh, mm-hmm. yes, Ella. I would love that. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Fucking saying thank you, acknowledging like the, these little stepping stones that build intimacy and trust, which means you can be vulnerable, which deepens experiences and relationships. And then you're going to have the most epic sex ever because you're conscious and you're present and you're free to be authentic. Like that is fucking freedom. And anybody out there that's listening that, I mean, I'm so glad they are listening because it's showing that they're curious explorers. Like they, they're interested. We're planting seeds even with these conversations and they're so important because it might not happen right now, but in a day or a month or a week or a year, like they're going to keep deepening and expanding, you know, that excites me so Mm. much. Yeah. Yeah. I agree that there is, probably an element of curiosity if people are tuning into this podcast. Um, and so I thank people for doing that. The other thing that I wanted to share there was, um, oh, I've just, just escaping me as we were talking, um, was, oh, like that it's okay. It's okay to be turned on and it's okay to be aroused and it's okay to like desire other people. You know, something that I've noticed with men, that I've worked with in group settings, at least over the last couple of years, has been a almost like hyper vigilance of I don't want to be seen as creepy. I I like there's an awareness that like you can creep people out and you can creep women out and that you are giving across these like icky vibes. And so now guys are like, oh shit, I don't want to do that. I don't want to cross boundaries. I'm I'm gonna be, you know, hyper vigilant and um 
which is again blocking them and stopping them from having an authentic connected relationship and again putting yeah. up walls yeah mm-hmm. it's sad yeah so like that that permission piece of like it's you're allowed to desire people you're allowed to you know think sexy thoughts about people that's like okay to do and the the distinction i i share with them is like between sexualizing someone and objectifying them right it's okay to sexualize people we sexualize people all the fucking time i've joked before on this podcast that i sexualize jason statham every time i see him because he's a very (laughs) handsome man i've got a big crush on him so um but like where the where the line is at least in my opinion and where it becomes problematic is when you start to treat another person based solely on your sexualization of them right because then they become this sexual object and you start to objectify them based on like what it is that you want to do to that person so if i just treated if i was to you know use my example if i just treated jason statham as just there for my own gratification and not actually recognizing his humanity and the you know the the complexity of him as a human being then that's me objectifying him and that's where we start to that and that's when when something's an object you don't give a shit about taking from them right like there's that like you've reduced someone down to to like something that's there to gratify you and like i think that's, that's where living in a fantasy, yeah. right? You've just stepped yeah. out of reality and you're now living in your own egoic fantasy. So yeah. again, you've just depleted yourself of all your consciousness, all your power, you know? And yeah, I, I find mm. that very concerning. Mm. And that, that's like, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I've said this before, but I'm not like anti-porn. I'm not pro-porn either. I kind of think there's a beautiful gray area to explore with explicit, mm. you know, sexually explicit material. Um, one of the things I will say is that like the like uncritical consuming of mm-hmm. media mm-hmm. is, in my opinion, contributing to like seeing people as objects, right? Because they're Absolutely. the it's it's you know the the la- there's lack of, the lack of humanity, right? It's, and, and it's the same thing not just with porn, but with social media in general, right? Like people will just have these one direction relationships with someone who they see only via the screen and that does not lend itself to fostering that connection that intimacy and the things that help you recognize the humanity in other people now that's not you know the case 100 percent of the time for social media because i know there's been some really incredible instances where people have been able to recognize and find connection and humanity and intimacy mm-hmm. through through social media platforms but i think on the whole these these platforms you know like your social media platforms but also like you know i mean Porn websites are essentially social media platforms at the end of the day, right? They operate in a very similar way. I think the the platforms themselves do not lend them, uh, lend themselves to like us fostering uh, a deeper realization of the people's humanities who are on the other side of the screen. So that's like one of the biggest things that I see as problematic with regards to um, like the way that men are using porn. And that's a whole different other conversation. I recognize yeah. we've just hit the hour mark. So yeah, thank yeah. you for for sharing your wisdom with me and for the listeners as well. It's been really great to get to know you a bit more. You too, hon. Thank you.